1: The next billion dollar company will be three people leveraging OpenAI and some of the other LLMs out there. Look deep inside yourself. Find the MTP that you want to go after and just go after it. This is the best time in the history of the world to be an entrepreneur. Let's talk about what it takes to build an EXO, right? We have a 12-step program. <laughs> um, it had to be 12-step. It had, right? had to be 12-step. You want to hark back to kind of things that work. Oh, by the way, just to, to as, a, as a thing, uh, we have behind us a wonderful rocket. I call this the Spinal Tap rocket. If you've seen the movie Spinal Tap, they tried to build a huge set and they put the wrong feet versus inches and they ended up with a. So I call this the, 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 the Spinal Tap rocket. Okay. It's hey. the, by the way, if, for those who've never seen the movie, if you go into a Tesla and turn the volume knob full up, the volume knob goes to 11. And you can go find out why that's the case. It's kind of amazing. All right, back to how do you build an EXO. All right, so uh, let's go through some of these steps. And Peter, jump in. When, yeah, we'll when. go back and forth on okay, this. Step one, and most important, is what is your MTP? Okay.
0: I, I, hopefully you've heard this over and over again enough that it uh, sunk
1: in. We will beat this into you uh, uh, and because it's been beaten into us. It, you have to select what fundamental problem you want to solve. so that's step one. And you use the Moonshot Planner tool that Peter mentioned. Use your own devices. We have an MTP tool ourselves. Uh, Ask your friends, when I was younger, what did I say, what I wanted to do? What fundamental problem do you want to solve and go By the
0: way, once you have your MTP, I want you to challenge yourself at a cocktail party to share it out loud. Don't be embarrassed by it. Like, you know, my massive transformative purpose is, and what the hell is an MTP? Well, you explain it. And by the way, when you go outward facing with your MTP, it brings people to you, you'll be amazed. Oh, you've got to meet this person over here. I've got a friend you've got to be connected with. It's a magnet to bring uh, partners, community to you.
1: You know, when I say at a cocktail party, I want to transform civilization, it doesn't doesn't really work. So I think I got to think about that. All right, so number one, you've got your MTP, okay? Number two, Uh, um, critical, um, join or create communities around that MTP. So if your MTP is Cure Cancer, okay, you can either create community around that because there's lots of people interested in that, or go to platforms like Meetup or others that have thousands of user groups and existing communities that you can join. Why you want to find like-minded people, Uh, you want to share that MTP, you want to build a community or connect with your, your MTP to the largest group of people possible around you. So build and connect or just join uh, communities that reflect your values and your MTP. Okay?
0: Yeah, I mean, the worst thing you want to do is have a team split because we have different purposes, yeah. right? Uh, MTP is like pulling a string, it unifies, it pulls you together. That's right. Uh, So
1: composing a team around that based on your MTP is fundamental. Uh, By the way, in the future, I think we'll be hiring based on the alignment of an individual's MTP with the company's MTP, because if there's not alignment on that, there's no point really working together on things, right? So that's gonna be a kind of a prediction for the future. All right, step three is put a team together. And here we recommend four roles: a CEO founder type visionary, a product person, a builder, and a business model finance person. Okay? And lots of startup uh, theory has around what, what, what composition should be. Um, you know, you and I have been talking about the idea from Jeremiah O Young and a few others that the next billion-dollar company will be three people leveraging OpenAI and some of the other LLMs out there where the CEO takes care of vision and marketing, the, C, the product guy is, is building, uh, using LLMs to build the product, and the operations guy is making sure all the AI chatbots are operating. And the, we think that will be the next billion-dollar company. Step four is uh,
0: your breakthrough idea. And notice here that it's step four, and it's not step one, right? Um, when you've got your massive transformative purpose, which is going to last you a decade or two, now you're gonna find out what technologies, what business model is gonna be in service of transforming that. Because if you start with a technology, that technology may not last very long. It may be obsoleted at the rate we're going in a year or two. What really keeps this all focused, train on the tracks is in fact that MTP.
1: Once you have the basic idea, Right now, you need to kind of start putting flesh to that to that raw idea. So you have a, a, a fill out a lean startup business model canvas coming from um, Aust- Alex Osterwalder, uh, or the EXO canvas, which was developed by our community. You can find it at exocanvas.com. If you fill those two out, basically it talks you through how to think about partners, channels, customers, vendors, value proposition, et cetera, et cetera. So you've fully thought through the idea before you start building anything. Please don't build anything until you've filled out these canvases to get a rough sense, because it'll tease out any mistakes you make, and you want to go as long as possible without building things. I remember when I was building Angstro, which we did, um, My co-founder, Rohit, instantly wanted to go talk to 100 people about it. I'm like, wait, no, you'll give away the idea. He's like, no, no, I want free feedback on the idea from 100 people. I get free feedback. Can I I
0: stress that um, an idea is the easy part. Uh, I remember uh, a conversation with Elon who said when you look at the relative value of the idea to implementation, the value of the idea rounds to zero. It's all about implementation, manufacturability, uh, and implementation. Uh, again, I made the same mistake early on, just you know, not wanting, keeping the idea close, but you lose. It's a lose, lose, lose when you don't share the idea yeah. because you don't find out all the ways it's failed, all the people that can help you. Believe me, if, it's, if you're the right person to make it happen, you're driven by the MTP, the idea is just the very first incremental
1: step. Right. So now you have your idea and you've built your business model canvas and EXO canvas, et cetera. The next step is to find a business model. My favorite part- Is finding the business model. I I am the most excited, I'm more excited about business model innovation than
0: I am around uh, uh, the technologies. I hate the business model part.
1: Really? Yeah, I, I struggle with this a huge amount. Um, uh, we've been struggling for years in, in EXO to find different testing, different business models, et cetera, et cetera, and I'm just like, God dang, can't we just go solve we talk, the problem? We should talk about it. We'll talk more. Maybe I could use some <laughs> advice from that. Let me talk through the business model side, right? Because there's a really big inflection point that's happened around building a business and finding a business model. Chris Anderson who's the editor of Wired magazine and created the DIY drones community, and he invented the long tail idea, et cetera, I wrote this book a few years ago called Free, arguing that as we make information more widely available, every business model goes to free. And then you have a bunch of layers on top of that free information, it's digital like demonetization. Information. It's demonetization, and you have an advertising business model or a subscription model or something. Let's use the example of music. We used to have eight major music studios selling scarcity, selling you the physical cassette, the CD, the DVD, selling scarcity as their business model. Then we digitize music, right? All of those eight pretty much disappear, and now you have two platforms, iTunes and Spotify, selling you abundance on a subscription model. So that we saw in the music industry, we've seen the same thing in books and in news. We'll see the same thing in transportation and healthcare and education is going to happen. So he basically argued that most business models will go to free. And it was a very seminal book uh, around at the time. Uh, Kevin Kelly, who we talked about already, um, wrote wrote a response to this saying better than free would be what are the business models around this? And he wrote a blog post called Better Than Free. Uh, Everything that Kevin Kelly writes is amazing, but please go read this blog post. It's seminal if you wanna build an EXO. What he does, he identifies if the base information is basically widely available, like digital health information or or so on. There's about one of eight ways in which to add value to that. So if you look at this list, um, uh, uh, Airbnb is giving you accessibility, Uber is giving you findability, Uh, Facebook is giving you personalization, financial markets often sell immediacy, et cetera. And if you have an information-based industry, you're using one or more of these. And we think what Kevin's identified here are the business models of a digital world. And we think more and more 21st century business models will focus on this aspect of this. So critical to go check this out. Now, just on a slight segue, uh, Kevin talks also about, they wrote a book called What Technology Wants, yes. right? Basically saying that the pace of technology is inexorable now past our human ability to limit it, which is an AI conversation that we could have uh, at some other point. But anyway, technology wants to be free. Technology wants to be free. And it wants to be, uh, it wants to be abundant, uh, even though human nature is like keep everything scarce and try and limit things, right? So now you have a business model. You've got some sense of what it looks like let's go to the next few steps of building an exo okay once you have the business model uh, the next step is to build the mvp and this is again coming from lean startup thinking um, and it's really really critical what's the smallest uh, feature footprint of a product to give you to get it out there and launch and test with customers
0: hopefully this is second nature and it's obvious to you but building an mvp Again, this is about building a data-driven company, right? We think we know what the customers want,
1: but we don't actually. As Steve Blank said, no business plan survives contact with the first customer, <laughs> right? Because you think you have a sense, but when you get out there, I remember Reed Hoffman saying it a different way. If you're not embarrassed by your product when you launch it, you've waited too long. Yes. Why? Because if you wait till it's perfect, you've, you're going to get it wrong and you're going to, you know, you're going to make assumptions that you haven't validated. So the minimum, I remember when I was running Brickhouse, uh, in, uh, Yahoo's incubator, we had Katarina Fake, uh, the founder of Flickr, come in and talk to the engineers. And she said, Talk to a team, and they go, well, she goes, what's so great about your product? And they go, we have 20 features in this product. It's gonna be beautiful, et cetera. And she said, all right, build the two that you think are gonna, identify the two features out of the 20 that you think are gonna make it work and make it succeed. Launch those two, and then get a feedback loop going.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, tell talks about very similar. He says, you know, when you look at all the things you have to do in a company, instead of ordering them the way of a priority that you might have, reprioritize them uh, in order of which ones are gonna teach you the most and do those first, right? It's constant learning in this regard.
1: Constant testing.
0: And the eighth step here is, uh, is validate marketing and sales. Again, this is part of your MVP. Uh, how are you gonna market it? How are you gonna sell it? How are you gonna price it? Are you marketing it direct? Are you going through channels, through partnerships? All of this is, is fundamental uh, to get
1: to scale. Um, and validating marketing sales and managing your funnel, right? How many people do you have interested in the product? How many have signed up for the free thing? How many people might sign up for a paid model? What's your churn, et cetera, et cetera? And so there's a whole now very well understood scientific, uh, very clear metric process on how to manage your funnel. Like if you have, if you're in enterprise sales, which takes like nine months to do an enterprise sale, then you better have a big funnel and figure out you get get a lot of stuff in the front because only a few are gonna drop at the bottom and keep you viable, right? So getting your funnel right and managing the sales funnel is absolutely critical in this piece of this. So now you have, at this point, you should have what's called product market fit, which is you have a product that people are paying for and with feedback from customers that they're excited about your product. If you don't have both those things, you don't have product market fit, go back to MVP or go back another step uh, or Celine, figure out another breakthrough idea. Uh,
0: everyone listening is probably saying that's great if you're a startup, but what if you're running a company that's got 50,000 employees and you've got, you know,
1: how are you still building an MVP? You're still building an MVP because the only way you know that something's going to work today is by getting it out there and iterating. Okay, And big companies are very, very uh, bad at this because they're trying to get it perfect before you launch it. People want to wait till it's perfect, etc. It never happens this way. Look at the biggest companies in the world, and they've all been iterating very, very well. Amazon is famous for constantly iterating. They had no idea whether um, uh, Amazon Prime would work, right? You've got a bit of experience. Yeah. Tell the Amazon Prime I mean, story. It's so fascinating to see the mentality and psychology there.
0: Yeah, Jeff Holden, uh, who was the VP uh, of product, both at, but chief product officer, both at Amazon and Uber, who's on my board at XPRIZE, tells the story, you know, when Amazon Prime was first proposed as an experiment, uh, it was considered a foolish idea. You know, Bezos basically said, try
1: it, and now it's, a, you know, what percentage of Amazons? Uh, Amazon Prime is a, like, I think it's 20, no, it's 25%. The killer one was is yours. Amazon um, Web Services, yeah, right? Yeah. And this is now, again, and again, another example. By the way, I want to give a shout out to an Amazon policy that I completely love. If you have a big company, I dare you go home and go to the office tomorrow and implement this policy. They realize that in any company, it's really easy to say no to an idea. Mm. One of 20 people can say no, kills the idea. Whereas if you're, an inv- if you're a startup, you can go to 20 investors, one says yes, you're off to the races. So how do you deal with that impedance mismatch in a big company? So they came up with a policy and it's called the Amazon Institutional Yes. So if you're inside Amazon and you come to me with an idea and I'm your manager, I'm not allowed to say no to your idea. My default answer has to be yes. And if I need to say... If I want to say no, I have to write a two-page thesis as to why it's a bad idea and post it publicly on the internet, right? So they've created friction and embarrassment to saying no. It's way easier for me to go, ah, just go do your idea. I'm sure you're going to fail at the next level, etc. And now the product gets tested and at least now you have real data. One of the results of this policy was actually Amazon Web Services. Nothing to do with their core strategy, not on any roadmap. Nobody could figure out how to say no to it. And that's one of the most successful products of all time and delivers 75% of Amazon's projects, uh, profits globally. It's, it's just unbelievable. Hey
0: everybody, Peter Diamandis here. Uh, I've been asked over and over again, what do I do for my own health? Well, I put it down in this book called Peter's Longevity Practices. Uh, It's very readable in just an hour. In the book, I cover longevity diet, exercise, sleep, my annual found upload, meds and supplements, longevity mindset. It's literally consumable in just an hour's time, hopefully to incentivize you to make a difference in your life, to intercept the technologies coming our way. If you want this, it's free just check out the link below and download it right now. Another example is Kickstarter, right? Hopefully you've all heard of Kickstarter, played with Kickstarter. Uh, you know, it was thought of as a platform for young companies to try their product out, and get commitments early on. What we're seeing is large corporations actually trying things on Kickstarter as well to get early information about who wants what color, who wants what different
1: uh, product elements. My, my fellow Waterloo grad, Eric Mijakovsky. Mijakovsky, right, um, Pebble Watch. Pebble Watch, wanted yeah. to, he went to, this is a great little story. He uh, came out of Y Combinator, right? Best incubator in the world with the best network in the world, trying to raise $100,000 to build a prototype of his running watch. All the investors said no because uh, Silicon Valley is very biased against hardware at the time. So now he's got three weeks of cash left, right? He's like about to run out of money. So he puts up a a project on Kickstarter, desperately saying, can I raise $100,000? Can I pre-sell my watch? Raises $10 million on Kickstarter, right? Now that tells you two or three really interesting things. One, all the investors are wrong, which is fine. This is why investors use a portfolio approach. More importantly, if you Uh, have crowdfunding, why do you need the investor? And now the sophisticated investment ecosystem around Silicon Valley is rendered irrelevant in a sense, because I can crowdfund something. But third, and maybe most importantly, to the point you're making, for the first time in business history, you can validate demand for a product without building the product, Yeah. right? Throughout history, you had to like build a product and go, do you like it or not? Customer goes, I hate it. now Eric has a new problem. He's got to build a lot more watches He's off to China on the next flight. That's the that's the that. But that's a great problem to have. I've yeah. got ten million dollars in the bank now. I've got to go do this. So, um, uh, by the way, Sony Corporation is now launching anonymous Kickstarter campaigns and then funding the successful ones because it's just an easier way to validate success. So, really critical data-driven
0: decision making. It's not listening to the experts who tell you what they think.
1: Yeah, so constantly run experiments, validate your marketing sales, okay? Step nine, once you've got a funnel out there and so on, is to now implement the EXO attributes of scale and ideas. Uh, do as much staff on demand, community and crowd, implement algorithms, leverage assets, figure out engagement models for your product, and then all the internal mechanisms. What's the, inter- how are you gonna, what interfaces do, what, where do you wanna automate the interfaces between you and the customer? What dashboards are you running? How are you doing experimentation and what experiments are you running, right? Um, how do you decentralize decision-making and what social technologies are you using? Inside now to be the company?
0: clear, right, it's not implementing all 10 It's necessary, right? And it's, you might actually begin with a couple of these and then move towards others as part of your plan. That used to be the
1: case. Okay. So in the first book, we, we, our research indicated if you implemented four of these, then you got, became an EXO. But I think today, the market basically says the data now shows that if you're not implementing all of these, somebody else is. right? Uh, and so the more you implement these, the better. And the faster you can implement dashboards, for example, the faster you've got a real-time sense of what's happening with the business. The, the more you can implement experimentation, the more you're implementing a learning organization. Right. And
0: a few right? of these, there's no excuse not to be implementing them. They're just the fundamental best practices as an entrepreneur today.
1: Yeah. Now, um, really critically, I'll give you a great example. There's a company out of Australia called Smart Group, and what they do is every quarter, they pick, they get 10 people, each of them picks one of the scale or ideas attributes, and they implement that attribute. So they have 10 projects going on on a nonstop basis, implementing scale and ideas. Uh, They grew 5x over a two year period by doing this, they were already a public company, by the way. So this is not a small company. They were already a public company, and then they grew 5x by applying the full scale and ideas methodology.
0: Our 10th step is to implement and establish a culture. Uh, But I would say, you know, a culture begins from the very beginning. Uh, And it's, you know, what happens when the CEO is not watching. It's the interactions between your employee base, between your founders. And again, it starts with that MTP. It starts with the original founders. And that culture is going to drive everything. Elements of the culture I really personally always want to be driving. It's data-driven, experimentalism, fundamentals there.
1: Yeah. Uh, now we found over the years that having an EXO structure um, takes out a lot of politics, right As we said in the implication, most of, the, of a, in most traditional companies, almost all the conversations about what's happening on the inside, that person's product didn't work, did they get budget for that thing? Why is that guy trying to steal my team members? And within the EXO, most of the conversation about what's on the outside, are we solving the fundamental problem or not, et cetera. So that's critical, and we found that by implementing more and more of the attributes, the culture stays young, alive, a learning organization, oriented constantly towards the MTP, okay? Uh, Step 11. Um, constantly retest your assumptions. So this relates back to experimentation. Yeah. But you got to retest: uh, my, is my pricing correctly? Uh, am I really following my MTP? Because often you can drift off to the side. Oh my God! We we, we I've been there. We at EXO almost accidentally became a consulting company, and we spent we were spending more time advising big companies than trying to solve big problems. And we like the community actually rose up and go, "Hey, what happened to the impact side of it?" And we're like, "Oh, dang! We we kind of accidentally left that." Re- because you're in your own soup, it's really hard to gauge and see what is happening around you. So make sure you have active advisors that are constantly calling you out and testing you against the, what you're doing. Are you aligned towards the MTP or not? Uh, Bert
0: Rutan, who is the famed aerospace designer engineer at Scaled Composites, he built Spaceship One that won our $10 million X Prize. has a quote I love. He says, question don't defend. If you're building as part of a cultural attribute, if you build a culture which asks, you know, which allows questions to be asked at any time, say defending yourself, as soon as you start defending your position, you're backed into a corner and you're not able to explore new areas, you're not telling yourself the truth, you're simply defending yourself. So, question, don't defend is one of those cultural elements of asking
1: questions. You know, the video of Bert talking about this is so amazing. He goes, I've never been so goddamn excited as when trying to win this, win this yeah. prize. I want to just do a quick shout out here. Yeah. Um, it's so amazing to watch an X Prize unfold. Um, and the, the rationale behind this is when you put up a $10 million prize, something like 30 or 40 teams will spend like up to $150 million in R&D trying to win the $10 million. So it's the most leveraged model for innovation ever um, where you can crowdsource hundreds of teams. How many teams are registered for the carbon extraction price? We had uh,
0: 1,200 teams going after Elon's $100 million. We just launched this wildfire XPRIZE and uh, after the first month, we have something like 60 or 70 teams, all designing different ways you know, detecting the fire is not the hard part, but how if you found a, a, a wildfire igniting that's moving and you had to put it out autonomously in 10 minutes without humans in the loop, how would you do it, right? And so it's fun and it's exciting and it's changing the business model, right? The business model, again, I love business models. The business model for insurance was always, you know, fire insurance will pay you after your house burns down. What about flipping the model and saying, our fire insurance prevents the fire
1: in the first place, right? Mm. That's yeah, the right. strength. I, I, I want to just do an, uh, uh, an anecdote related to the MTP. Uh, one of my favorite stories at XPRIZE and you watch all these teams like running around like mortgaging their house hoping to win. Oh my win, God, yes. Right? My favorite story is the the uh, oil cleanup X Prize funded by Wendy Schmidt, the $3 million prize for anybody that could, that could double after the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. It turns out the oil cleanup technology has not changed since the 1980s since the Exxon Valdez because there's no economic incentive. So very quickly, a prize gets put together to say, can you double the effectiveness of existing oil technologies? Can I?
0: Can you yeah. tell us? So we had, had three hundred and. 40 teams around the world who registered to compete for this, to try and reinvent how you clean up oil spill on the surface before it hits the beaches and the fisheries. And we had amazing teams. The top 10 teams, one team was a family out of Alaska that mortgaged their home literally and built technology that came in the top 10. Another team, you can't make this stuff up, was a tattoo artist and his client, the two t- tattoo artists- uh, had a uh, the two artists had a vision and an idea. His client, who's a dentist, uh, literally underwrote it. They built a scale model. The guys tested in the guys' jacuzzi, and the first time it saw full-scale oil spill was at our test facility.
1: And they came in second. I mean, and it's like. What's what's great about that story, right, is if you're a VC or an investor and that team walks into your office, you are never funding that team, <laughs> right? Like you're a dentist, you're a tattoo, you have no experience, no background, no expertise in this, what do you, never are you funding that team and yet you would have lost out, right? And this is what's so magical about sourcing from the crowd. You never know what you're going to get. But if you have an abundance of people working on it, that problem is always going to be solved. And this is so critical.
0: And by the way, check it out at XPrize.org. Please get involved. Uh, uh, Salim is on our board. Anushan Sari, who funded our first $10 million prize um, and then flew privately to the space station uh, for 10 days, is now the CEO. I serve as executive chairman there. We've launched $300 million in X prizes. We're about to launch another quarter billion dollars. Our mission is to crowdsource solutions to the world's biggest problems, not for ideas, but people actually go out and build this stuff and demonstrate it.
1: Hmm. All right, final step in building an EXO, right, is ter- try and turn yourself into a platform, okay? If you look at the history of the internet, Yahoo, BlackBerry, Nokia all failed to become platforms. Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, all successfully became platforms, which means you become like a coral reef and you feed an ecosystem of people that are making their living off you. And now you're wired into the infrastructure. How
0: incentivized am I to support your platform when it's the means by which I earn
1: my revenue? Yeah, the average YouTube professional today is making like $4,000 a month. It's crazy. It's like an unbelievable amount of, uh, of, of kind of value that's being generated, created. Uh, Mr. Beast, who's the, probably the most popular YouTube uh, YouTuber out there, found out uh, something amazing about his background. He studied YouTube videos for three years before he, he created his, his first video because he under, wanted to understand the dynamics so fundamentally.
0: Understand the algorithms that drove the economics behind it, and it's all about algorithms. Hey everybody, this is Peter. A quick break from the episode. I'm a firm believer that science and technology and how entrepreneurs can change the world is the only real news out there worth consuming. I don't watch the crisis news network I call CNN or Fox and hear every devastating piece of news on the planet. I spend my time training my neural net the way I see the world by looking at the incredible breakthroughs in science and technology, how entrepreneurs are solving the world's grand challenges, what the breakthroughs are in longevity, how exponential technologies are transforming our world. So twice a week, I put out a blog. One blog is looking at the future of longevity, age reversal, biotech, increasing your health span. The other blog looks at exponential technologies, AI. 3D printing, synthetic biology, AR, VR, blockchain, these technologies are transforming what you as an entrepreneur can do. If this is the kind of news you wanna learn about and shape your neural nets with, go to demandus.com blog and learn more. Now back to the episode. Uh, let's share uh, two EXOs just as to hammer this in. One is a company called Thrasio, it was actually built by a fraternity brother of mine, Carlos Cashman. And what Carlos and his partners did was they went on to Amazon, they went on to and found companies that had low revenues, uh, product sellers who had low revenues, but had extraordinary uh, customer reviews. And if you think about it, what does that say? Well, this supplier doesn't have a great marketing engine. And what they ended up doing
1: was they began aggregating these. At first, first they were just advising them, and then somebody said, why don't you just buy the company? And they're like, oh. So they started buying these companies. At one point, they put up a sign at an Amazon Marketplace conference, if you're over a million in revenue, we want to talk to you, and they had a lineup around the block of people wanting to talk to them. So they went- Zero to a couple of billion? In two years, they went from zero to $2 billion in revenue. Okay, just think about that, zero to $2 billion in revenue. And because they're using an AI to scour the marketplace, the whole thing is automated. They can literally find a product, reach out to the seller and say, hey, we, we think we can make you bigger, do you wanna sell? Boom, so this is like a next generation CPG company. People, startups are now saying I'm the Thrasio of this, or I'm the Thrasio <laughs> of uh, dry cleaning or whatever. It's been unbelievably uh, successful. The highest rated EXO that we ever saw, because we scored them all on the, that model, is mm-hmm. GitHub, right? GitHub was a, is a platform where developers can share uh, code and watch each other and, sh- and kind of, and I can rate your code, you can rate my code. So they've created and they put in all the elements, gamification, uh, algorithms, staff on demand, etc. Now they were eight and a half years old and Microsoft bought them for seven and a half billion dollars. Right? I remember talking to the accounting partner that was managing the acquisition for Microsoft and he was freaking out. He's like, I don't know what to put on the balance sheet. Uh, this has, company has no assets, no intellectual property, and basically no workforce. Like, what are we buying? So he's literally trying to kill the deal because he can't figure out how to put any value against it in the Amazon and the Microsoft accounting systems. And finally, Satya Nadella says, "Just buy the damn thing. I want the community." And now with ChatGPT, we they have access to all the GitHub repositories because GitHub is, has been that successful. The most fa- fa- my favorite thing about GitHub is because it's open source and everybody is fully transparent, your salary, if you're a software developer in Silicon Valley today, your salary has zero correlation to the university you went to, the degree you got or the grades you got. It's 100% what is your GitHub rating and that's that's how you're paid, right? So the value of a computer science degree just went to zero. So this is a profound commentary on the future of higher education. As we apply that to doctors and lawyers and so on, ChatGPT will really transform all of this. Let's note, by the way, since the year 2000, we have written about 3 trillion lines of code around the world. And when an LLM or AI has access to all those 3 trillion lines of code, the next code you write is going to be that much better. Because if I'm a developer, you did software development when you were younger. You you write maybe 50,000 lines of code, 100,000 lines of code. Never do you have access instantly in real time to 3 trillion lines of code. So what's coming in the future is going to be unbelievable. The same
0: thing in medicine, right? I like to tell people, you know, every day there are 7,000 medical journals that are uh, articles published in medical journals, 7,000. How many has your doctor read this morning? Um, Well, an AI diagnostician will have consumed all of them. Right? We're all gonna have AI co-pilots, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, an artist, a physician, whatever it might
1: be. I like the way you put it where you go, it's not an AI that's gonna take your job, it's a human using AI that's gonna take your job. Right? So it goes very
0: quick. Our whole purpose here, mine is to inspire and guide entrepreneurs, like you, to create a hopeful, compelling, and abundant future for humanity. I'm driven by that MTP. That's the reason I do what I do, why I'm here with my dear brother, Salim, uh, and Salim's to help you know, create and transform the planet and create exponential organizations.
1: And the reason I'm here is because the only constituency and demographic that can change the world is entrepreneurs. Yes, 100%. You're, you're, risk, of, uh, you're risk tolerant, and by definition, you're crazy. <laughs> right? and therefore, you can actually change the world. And we've got now a very clear methodology, the value proposition, support system, tools, training, and the ecosystem for you to go do that. So the challenge we have for you is look deep inside yourself, find the MTP that you want to go after, and just go after it. This is the best time in the history of the world to be an entrepreneur.
0: Best time ever to be alive,
1: except perhaps
0: for tomorrow. You have a chance to uplift humanity, make a dent in the universe, uh, and we hope that you do.